0: Good afternoon. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now bring you Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Showman.
1: Hi, this is Roy Showman, and welcome again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism, all of the promise of Judaism, all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. The theme of the show usually revolves around the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, so to speak, or the connection between Judaism and Catholicism. But I have a little confession to make, which is um, my wife is a philosopher. She's um, the former chair of the philosophy department at Ave Maria University, and she gave a talk a couple of days ago on um, love and marriage and the church teaching about related moral issues. And uh, it, I, of course, I'm married to her, but I think it's an excellent, excellent, very, very valuable talk and very beautiful because it basically discusses how marital love is a reflection of the love within the Most Holy Trinity and as the... It's the love between the Father and the Son in the Most Holy Trinity that is fruitful in the um, I'm trying, a procession of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit flows from the love between the Father and the Son. Love is intrinsically fruitful, is intrinsically creative, and that is the intention for human marriage also, is to be a reflection of that. And therefore, the Church's teaching about uh, issues having to do with marriage are actually a reflection of the deepest, deepest theological and philosophical basis of, of love, and in fact of man and woman. So I don't want to give her talk for her. I want to play the talk, and I'm going to be here. And uh, if there are any calls, this is a live call-in program. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY. M-A-R-Y, I will, um, I would say probably give, give it, uh, wait until the middle of the hour before calling, and then I will uh, uh, keep an eye on the call board at that point, point. and if any calls come in, be happy to take your questions, not that I can really do a good job of answering them. My wife isn't here, the speaker is not here, but I think you'll find the talk very uh, worthwhile, and uh, a little bit of a warning, uh, my wife is extremely modest and discreet in her in her expression and what she says and how she says it, but since the issue is the church teaching around marriage, this may not be appropriate if there are um, children in the audience who are not in a position to understand the issues involved in the moral implications of Uh, the relations between a husband and wife. So with that, let me just uh, go to the uh, recent talk by Dr. Maria Federica, Professor of Philosophy on Love, Marriage, and the Church teaching on related issues.
0: Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. And, uh, okay, so what I thought I would do is... um, begin maybe with giving a big picture. So the, the emphasis today is going to be on, on love. There's so much that we could do here. But I thought what I would do is just start with a kind of big picture that will give us kind of some fundamental principles for dealing with specific cases that come up. Issues related to marriage, to human sexuality, to the parent-child relationship. There was one question about that. And um, once I give you that big picture, then I can maybe tackle some of the questions and the ones that I received in the email and the new ones that will come up now. So, all right. So in the Old Testament, we have a wonderful revelation of God, of who he is. He tells Moses in the burning bush, he says, I, I am, he's, he's being itself, so all the other gods never real, revealed themselves this way. They, they they somehow interacted. And of course, we know that many of them were demons. But here God tells us his very name. And in that name, he describes, he captures his very being. He is the one who is. So he's eternal. He always was. He always will be. And he has the fullness of all being in him. But I like to um, think that he left sort of three dots at the end of that. So I am dot, dot, dot. And then St. John in... His one of his letters completes that you could say self revelation of God with words, of course, he completes that self revelation already in Jesus. But in the statement, God is love, it's as if God is revealing, you could say, the completion of that revelation. So he's saying, I am in the Old Testament, and then he says, I am love. And this is something very extraordinary, of course. Nobody in the Greek world could think, would think of God as love. There's one author who says that's like saying a square circle, right? That gods were so far above human beings. Never could they imagine that this God would love, would, would love them, much less be love. And so then we find out that from all eternity, right, long before God even considered creating us, of course, that we were always in his mind, but before the act of creation, he was already a community of love within himself. And here we really already find what genuine love is that then becomes the model of love in every other case for us. So uh, the Father is one who loves the Son. The Son is one who loves the Father. And the Holy Spirit, theologians tell us, he is the love between the Father and the Son. Sometimes they speak of the Holy Spirit as the union of love between the Father and the Son. And um, if if we reflect on this and um, actually follow what theology has told us, we discover that the three components of love are already contained in the Trinity and revealed there. So what does it mean to be father? Unfortunately, earthly fathers don't always reflect this perfectly, but in fact, to be father means to give oneself, make a complete gift of self to the other. And that's what the father within the Trinity is. He is self-giving. Theologians even say that he doesn't have a person before he gives himself. His person, his very person is self-giving. And the son is nothing but the receiving of the father who gives himself in love. And then the son, of course, makes a return of himself. So here you have the giving and the receiving of love contained in within the Trinity. And then the third component of love is revealed to us as well. This mutual giving and receiving you could say bears fruit. It's, it's generous, it's diffusive, it's, it's, it overflows, All right? It can't be contained. It's so enormous that two persons should make a complete gift of themselves to one another and receive one another so completely that it's as if the bonds of that relationship are broken, and it overflows into a third person. So we know that in God, we don't really have creation, right? God just is. But nevertheless, we see uh, the giving, the receiving, and the fruitfulness of love. So that's how the Holy Spirit has often been understood within, within Catholic theology as the fruit of the love between the Father and the Son and the bond that unites them. So, but God chose not to remain you could sell. You could say alone, although he's not alone anymore, right? But he has this trinitarian love within himself. He chooses to be generous and to bring into existence other, other persons, who he then wants to invite into a relationship of love with himself. And this is kind of fun when I when I do this class with my students. I can give a philosophical proof of the fact that the the reason that God creates is out of love and only out of love. He can't have possibly have any other reason for creating. So he first begins by creating angels and they we know that they make a choice all at once for or against God and then enter into their eternal destiny after that moment. But then he he chooses to create this very strange creature persons that are not pure spirits like angels, but that are embodied so they have flesh and blood, they take up space, they live in time. We don't know if angels live in time, but in some sense, we, um, we, are, we don't exist all at once and we're, we're born as helpless infants. And then we very gradually become adults and become persons in the full sense that can then, um, you could say, um, well, ultimately we're called to make a return of love. So I like to think of God's creation as a kind of, um, well, think of a prism and when God is light, right? But if you put a prism, if you put light through a prism, it, it breaks up into the five colors. And I like to think of creation as a kind of reflection. It's each, everything that is created is a kind of, um, a a ray coming from God's being. It somehow reflects God and shows who he is. So of course every creature just shows a tiny bit of who he is but nevertheless all of creation is you could say love refracted right love giving itself and somehow being contained in these tiny reflections and when he creates the human person all right scripture tells us that it's he finishes the creation of the material world and it's as if God kind of regroups, the three persons of the Holy Trinity regroup, and they pause. And before they create man, they say, let us create man in our image. And it's really interesting. I don't know what what um, readers of the Jewish scripture thought before God revealed himself as Trinity, but he says, let us create God in our image. He uses the plural there. And he creates man, he creates man as man and woman. And John Paul II already has given us a tremendously rich reflection on this, that it's only in the the creation of the two genders that we have a full reflection of God. And he tells man and woman, be fruitful and multiply. And so it seems as though it's only in, you could say, the unit of the family, that there's a very privileged reflection now of God as a community of love. And here at this moment, we, we find the key uh, to, you could say, to everything that exists. We find the key to understanding the difference between man and woman. We find the key to family. It's very important to think about this because in a fallen world, <laughs> we can sometimes think of family as as a burden, right? Uh, I think some of the deepest wounds that we have come to us through our family, very often, sadly, through our parents, sometimes through our brothers and sisters. But the original plan is that this is meant to be a unit of love. And if it hadn't been for the fact that we messed up, right there there would be a kind of perfection to this, this beautiful setup. So the meaning, the original meaning of man and woman and this relationship of family is to be an expression of love, really to be a participation in the Trinitarian love of God. So now we have something very strange. Adam and Eve spring directly from the hand of God. But after that, so that's similar to the angels, right? They spring directly from the hand of God. But now, unlike the angels, every other human person that comes into existence comes into existence through other human persons. It's as if, in a way, God, uh, we could look at it different ways. We could say God gives a share of his creative action to other creatures. Right? Angels don't have this privilege. They were not invited into this could say, magnificent cooperation with the creation of new human persons. So um, we have to kind of wonder at this, that God's creative love is in some sense, you could say, handed on to man and woman, to human beings. And all sorts of things are bundled into this, you could say, wondrous and miraculous situation. He now depends on his creatures to bring new life into existence. So if man and woman, I mean, marriage is a free contract, right? Or a free covenant. Man and woman do not have to enter into marriage. So he depends on them to to create new souls. It's only if they choose to... Mary it's only if they choose to cooperate with him in bringing about new souls that this actually happens and in a funny way he also kind of um it's as if he also steps back now of course he directly creates the human soul and husband and wife directly create the body but after that that moment of creation he in a sense steps back and all the love that he is pouring out into every single soul at the moment of creation, you could say he now depends on the parents to become the communicators of this love. So this is very, very beautiful. Again, it's it's sad that it doesn't always um, live up to its potential, but never mind that for now. Let's just for a moment um, marvel at this incredible state of affairs that while God creates every single person um, with this incredibly tender affection, with this direct attention, he looks every person in the eyes, so to speak, from the moment of their creation. And he, he's there ready to give his love, to pour it out. And he, in fact, is pouring it out at every moment. But he, in some sense, is hidden. And he depends on the parents to be the first ones to communicate that love. And he associates the human hearts, right? He wants the human heart of the mother, the human heart of the father, to be filled up with his love, right? And it becomes their love, and then that's how he pours his love out to the human person. And here we could we could spend a very long time on this. Um, it's a very exciting part in my philosophy of love course, where we talk about the play the role of love in the development of the human person. So here again, we have. Uh, great potential for woundedness and for things to go wrong. But if we see the original plan, I mean, a child is, in a sense, nothing but, you could say, a receptacle of love, right? And love is the most um, foundational and, and you could say, um, primary formative influence on the child. So, of course, the mother... F- feeds the baby, the parents hold the baby, the parents clothe the baby. But all of this is just a foil, so to speak, for this formation in love, right? The voice of the mother, the tenderness of the touch and so forth. All of this is meant to be that love, which is the primary foundation of the child's life. So I like to think of the um, of the child, I think all parents should think about this when they, when they enter into the state of parenthood, that the child is in a sense, if you think about clay, a clay pot being made. And when the clay is first very wet, the tiniest touch of the potter leaves an imprint on that, on that vessel, right? And of course, as the clay becomes more and more dry, then the touch leaves less of a, an imprint on that vessel and i think that's kind of an analogy for the way the human person comes into existence right at the very beginning the child is a kind of pure sensitivity to the touch of love also of course to being wounded when that when that love isn't present so so the love is at the very foundation of our being that is communicated by the parents hopefully the parents are a beautiful channel of God's love also pouring in and and forming that child. And um, and then I'm just going to mention this because this might be relevant to some of the questions that come up. It's here also that some of the most fundamental wounds are, you could say, born in the soul. So when there is, you could say, a a betrayal of love, when the parents aren't faithful to their trust to communicate that love, which is meant to so deeply form the child in a sense of their own beauty, in a sense of their own goodness, in a sense of the goodness of the world, in a sense of the their, the goodness of their destiny in this world and so forth, because that's, of course, what love does. When that's lacking or when that goes wrong, then there's a kind of um, woundedness or a malformation that can take place. And this is where we see the child is not is not seen as one who is loved. So the image that I use is of of, of our eyes, right? And, and this is what the child is like when the child first comes into existence. Just as we can't see our own eyes, but we have to go to a mirror to see our eyes. So that that newborn infant, you could even say from the moment of conception, the fetus, the newborn infant, and the, the small child really can't, can't see itself except for through the eyes of the other person. So when the mother looks with love at the child, the child sees itself, you could say, in that responsiveness of the mother and and, and feels, I must be beautiful. I must be precious. I must be worthwhile. And of course, if that look isn't there, then the child learns something else about themselves, right? I'm just in the way. I I shouldn't have come into existence. Maybe I was an accident. And in a sense, you could say, Sort of begins to have a little voice within itself apologizing for its own being, or maybe saying, I have to prove myself, or I have to justify my being. And this, this is really the mechanism at work. I mean, psychology used to speak of neuroses. I know that they don't speak of that anymore, but many coping mechanisms can develop within the soul to deal with, with the wounds, with, you could say, the, um, the sense that this person isn't worthwhile And so forth, and we we grow. We can we the person can grow grow up with these coping mechanisms, right? Low self esteem can sometimes give birth to arrogance, right? And um, uh, anyway, so without spending too much time on that, I think that's that's part of the reason why Jesus's command really never to judge another person is something that we should really live by because we can never see into the soul of the other person. We can never see those hidden wounds. We can never see the source of those wounds in their past. Uh, So from our perspective, uh, as Jesus says over and over to St. Faustina in her diary, mercy is always something that you could say is a fitting response to another person. Only God knows the state of the soul. And it doesn't mean the person can't sin and doesn't sin. We do sin. But those sins are very often bound up with these family of origin deficits and wounds. Okay, so now...
1: Let me, uh, I'm going to interrupt here. I hate to interrupt, but because, um, first of all, you're listening to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Shoman. And we've been listening to Dr. Maria Federica on a talk about um, love and marriage in Catholic teaching and the um, we haven't gotten to the morality part yet but the picture that she's painting is that you know that St. John says God is love and that's very very hard to understand however we do know that all of creation is an effusion of God's love that God basically loves the world into being, that the love between the Father and the Son is fruitful in the um, Holy Spirit, being the the fruit of the love between the Father and the Son, that um, God created man to be loved and to love him, to be loved by God and to love God. And as love is behind all of creation, God gave man this incredibly incredible privilege of um, creating through love, also, which is what happens between a husband and a wife, that they actually are able to create immortal human souls through their love, and the infant, when it's born, lives entirely as an expression of this love, lives in a in a world of love. Their only communication essentially is love, and they're loved into being, and. I, I don't want to race ahead of what, what Dr. Federica is talking about, but where she is going with this is that um, sometimes uh, good Catholics, good Christians, people in general are confused about why the Catholic Church is so strict about um, about preventing the fruitfulness of the love between a husband and a wife, and that's actually where she's going is that it's in it in the very nature of love to be fruitful, and the um when you strip the spout the spousal act I'll call it when you strip it of the ability to be fruitful, you are stripping it out of one of its um, intrinsic elements. And therefore, you're destroying the nature of the act. She does a much better job of that than I do. But I just wanted to uh, give you a little context to know why you're listening to this, assuming that you are listening to this. So with that, let me go back to uh, Dr. Federica.
0: Now that we've seen sort of, we have, we have creation, we have the creation of the human person, how the person comes into maturity, which is they're given themselves in and through the love of the parents. And, um, this is all the natural in the natural state. And God is ultimately calling every person into a relationship of love with himself. And that's the meaning of our existence. So, um, when he loves us into existence, he is waiting for a return of love and sacred scripture gives us the image of, uh, of, of a bridegroom, okay. of, Of seeking his bride. And this is the meaning now of our existence. God is that bridegroom who first has to woo us, so to speak, right? He is trying to establish a courtship with us. And I see everything in creation as, you could say, this lover trying to get our attention to show us that he loves us and to make us, in a sense, fall in love with him. So even though there's a very dramatic thing going on in the relationship between the parent and the child, ultimately, it's between the person and God. This is the primary relationship of every human being, is that we were set into the world by our parents, and from you could say from that moment on, so to speak— The primary relationship is between the soul and God. And all the burdens that we carry from the family of origin now, you could say, are the material for this relationship between the soul and God. And everything that happens in our life, everything that God allows and does, because for him, of course, that's the same thing, is his attempt to make us fall in love with him it's his attempt to purify us and make us worthy of this love that he's calling us to and this is of course what the sending of his son is so adam and eve reject the love of god but rather than leaving them to their choice god sends his only son and now you have love revealed in its perfect extent you have jesus who not only takes on the burden of our sins, he suffers the punishment, but he comes to join us in all of our suffering. He gives us the church. He gives us the sacraments, which are all ways in which he enables us to receive his love and make a return of love. Okay, so then the last thing that I would like to look at is, um, oh, and by the way, with respect to that, he, 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 I think he does everything that he could possibly do with respect to giving his love so once he 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 dies on the cross for us and he gives us the church he gives himself in the sacraments he comes to be present with us in this invisible way in the eucharist always available always present in the in an utterly unthreatening and loving manner right in that silence he calls us into that silence and into that solitude that's where we find him now okay, is in the silence and the solitude of the Eucharist, in some way we have to enter into that silence and solitude in order to find him because that's where he dwells. And all the love of his longing and passionate heart, which is thirsting for a return of love from each of us, is dwelling in the Eucharist, right, which he gives himself to us every day if we want, and where he remains present in adoration if, if we're blessed enough to have exposition that's that's wonderful otherwise in the tabernacle where we can be with him anytime even from our homes sometimes if you have a sleepless night you can make yourself present before that blessed sacrament in the church prostrate with him keeping him company receiving his love and making a return of love so in some sense you could say that pinnacle of his love is really found in the Eucharist
1: Okay, well, I'm interrupting once again. We're halfway through the program, and I don't know if anyone uh, has any questions or comments. The number here is 866 333 6279 or 866 333 MARY, M A R Y. And if you do have any questions, I probably I may or may not be able to uh, help answer them because I, again, I'm not Dr. Federica, but I will take a short musical break at this point. And uh, if you wish to call in uh, and call in during the musical break, then coming out of the break, I will immediately go to the um, call board and take your calls. And then we will continue with uh, Dr. Maria Federica's exposition on love being at the absolute center of creation and of human creation and the fruitfulness of love, being, the intrinsic fruitfulness of love, being the ultimate reason why fruitfulness cannot be separated from spousal love. But with that, let me go to a very beautiful hymn, and I'll be back in a couple of moments. (laughs) ¶¶ et no, 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 in no, no, I'm if it's back. And um, there haven't been any calls, so we will continue with Dr. Federica's uh, exposition on the um, love, marriage, and the church teaching on marriage. So with that, let me just go back to Dr. Federica.
0: And then at the end of our lives, um, the image that I have is um of a somebody who, who's panning for gold, right? You know about the gold rush to the West and you have this everybody was panning for gold. So when you pan for gold, you have a sieve. And you scoop up the sand and you get a lot of it, but the 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 sand falls through the the sieve and the only thing that remains are the nuggets of gold. And that's what God does at the end of our lives. There's a sense in which he pans for love only thing that's going to remain and it's so so interesting and so mysterious that he made the setup of the human person be the way that it is right with angels he just looked at the angels he created these pure spirits and he said will you obey me so that you can enter into my love for all eternity as far as we know it took place all in all at once with the human person he gave us bodies he put us in time, we need to eat, we need to drink, we need to sleep, we need to have jobs, we have families, we have earthly relationships, right? There's spousal love, there's filial love, there's brotherly sisterly love, friendships, so many different things going on. And yet, all of this has its meaning only in relation to love. So at the end of life, that's the only thing that's going to remain, he's going to pan our lives or the love that's present that's what saint paul in a sense tells us when he says faith hope and love remain and the greatest of these is love and he says if i'm a i can i can move mountains i can even give my life but if i don't have love it means nothing Okay, so the meaning of everything in our earthly existence has to be related to love and it's going to have its meaning from that on the, other, on the other hand, it's very beautiful, right, to think that even a St. Therese's picking up a pin can become meaningful. right? This is especially, I think, for, um, for mothers who feel that their lives are so filled up with these very insignificant things, right? They're tor- turned to pure gold, right? We can have the Midas touch of love. Everything that we touch is turned into something that remains for all eternity if it's associated with, with love. Okay, so then the only the last thing that I want to do is just take a, a closer look at a very important part of human existence. That's uh, that, that's the the love between man and woman. That's very often meant to flower in the vocation of marriage, and that expresses itself in this very privileged way, which is in this deep spousal intimacy that involves the body, and that. Has its you could say its final flowering its full flowering in the creation of the new human person. I just would like to look at that briefly. So, um, so masculinity and femininity are uh, are, are expressions of the self giving and receiving that you find within the Trinity that becomes fruitful, and it has its you could say its special concentration and a very special expression, this this spousal or romantic love, in the sphere of of sexuality. And I'd like to look at that for a moment because uh, throughout the history of of philosophy, and, and maybe not only in philosophy, also in theology, and even in people's lives, the sexual sphere is very often seen as something which belongs to the animal dimension of the human person. And so you have, well, sexual intimacy, this physical bodily union of man and woman is something physical and animal. And the love that they experience and the emotions, that's what belongs to the spirit. That's what belongs to their their personal self, right? To their personal spiritual self. And I think that John Paul II gives us a very, very different picture. So I think I'd like, what I'd like for you to do is imagine that um, there is no physical world, there is no animal world, and God is creating the human person, and he he creates a human soul, and he he wants to invite creatures to participate in creating new human life. And he says to himself, so to speak, well, wait a second, if they only have souls, these creatures will not be able to help me create new, new human life because they won't have anything to give to a new person, right? It's not as though we could break off part of our souls and contribute it to the coming into existence of a new human person. So he says, I'm going to make the physical dimension. I'm going to make something material because we can share material things with other persons, right? So what he does, he says, I'm going to give this soul a body. And everything about that body is going to be an expression of their personal self. It's going to be like an image of what the person is. And so you could say that the human soul, you could say, breaks into the material world and establishes or creates for itself a kind of image, something that reflects the personal soul. So human sexuality is an expression of something Within the person. And so, what it does is it is taken up into the spiritual self of the person and becomes, so to speak, a kind of vehicle of love between man and woman. It's not something animal, it's something personal that is destined to be an expression of spousal love. So, now if we go back to this idea of love as having these three dimensions the giving, the receiving, And the fruitfulness, we see that human sexuality is formed and fashioned to be a kind of image of giving, receiving, and now the fruitfulness is embodied or incarnated in the creation of a new human person, right? So the fruitfulness is not just something in the souls of the spouses, but it's something that takes on flesh in the new human person. All right, so this, of course, is the fact that sexuality is fashioned by God and shaped by God to be a kind of incarnation of the reality of love is the foundation of the church's teaching on sexual morality, right? So why is it that contraception is not permitted? Okay, now we can say it's not permitted by the Catholic Church. But that's not quite right. It's not permitted by God. And the Catholic Church protects the teaching, you could say, of the creator when it comes to the creation of new human life. And this is what we have then. So now this has become more clear through John Paul II, but the Church is saying that because love has these three dimensions, if spouses enter into this expression of their spousal love... Which includes the body, which is not just a bodily act, right? It's an act of their very persons. If they have, there's giving and receiving, then there's also going to be a fruit. And if you begin to dismantle any part of that, then you dismantle that act as an act of love. So if you remove the possible fruitfulness of this, you could say, spiritual incarnated act, If you remove the physical fruitfulness, you're actually destroying that act as an act of love, which is really amazing because before Humanae Vitae, which is in, was in 1968, where the church reaffirmed her teaching on contraception, people thought to themselves, oh, if only we could find a way around the conception of new life so that the couple could just enjoy their love. <laughs> And in a sense, not be interfered with by the coming into existence of the new child. So the church was trying to bring to light in that teaching, in that reaffirmation of that teaching, no, don't you see that the love between the spouses is destroyed if that potential for new human life is removed by them, right? Now, God is the one who ultimately decides if new human life is going to come into existence, but the parents may not dismantle or the couple may not dismantle that act because if they do, then it's no longer an act of love. So maybe I'll stop there and see, see what the, um, whether there are any questions coming in.
1: Well, Maybe I'll stop there because, um, <laughs> because Maria is not going to be taking questions live since this is the recording. Um, and, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I am exhausted following that. Uh, very, very beautiful and very deep. And, um, uh, it was in some sense a a build up to that final few minutes that, um, let me, let me back up a little bit. The, as, as Dr. Federica mentioned, the... Um, In the past, the stress was sometimes mistakenly placed, I think mistakenly placed in the Church, on the idea that um, the physical side of things was kind of um, an outgrowth of the animal nature of man. And what Dr. Federico was doing in this talk is pointing out, no, no, the... um, structure of marital relations and the structure of where new human beings come from is not a reflection of the animal side of things, so to speak. It's a reflection of the divine side of things. The uh, God gave human beings bodies in order to express their persons, so to speak, and the uh, potential for Creating new life comes from an expression through their bodies of um, of love between the two persons, and so th- it's all extremely, extremely intimately linked. And to decouple, to decouple the possibility of fruitfulness from the act is to destroy the nature of the act. And to destroy it as an expression of love between two persons. She does a much better job, but I, I was trying to recap. Um, I want to go for a few minutes to Saint Maximilian Colby, because Saint Maximilian Colby very beautifully expresses the centrality, let's say, of love in the Most Holy Trinity. And the uh, fact that mankind's vocation, really, is to return that love. And he does it in a way that puts the Blessed Virgin Mary at the center of things. Which is a very good place for the Blessed Virgin Mary to be, even if it weren't a a first Saturday. So let me go to a short writing from St. Maximilian Colby, which, if I'm not mistaken, was actually the very last writing of St. Maximilian Colby before he was taken off to the concentration camp. So, here goes. Who then are you, O Immaculate Conception? The Father begets the Son. The Spirit proceeds from Father and Son. And who is the Holy Spirit? The flowering of the love of the Father and the Son. If the fruit of created love is a created conception then the fruit of divine love, that prototype of all created love, is necessarily a divine conception. The Holy Spirit is therefore the uncreated eternal conception, the prototype of all the conceptions that multiply life throughout the whole universe. The Holy Spirit is the uncreated immaculate conception. You can see where he's going here. He's going to point out that the Blessed Virgin Mary is the created immaculate conception, the Holy Spirit is the uncreated immaculate conception, but there are some very significant parallels, continuing with uh, St. Maximilian Colby. the Father begets, the Son is begotten, the Spirit is the conception that springs from their love, there we have the intimate life of the three persons by which they can be distinguished one from another, but they are united in the oneness of their nature of their divine existence. The spirit is then this thrice holy conception, this infinitely holy immaculate conception. Everywhere in this world we notice action and the reaction which is equal but contrary to it. Departure and return, going away and coming back, separation and reunion. The separation always looks forward to union which is creative. All this is simply an image of the Blessed Trinity in the activity of creatures. Union means love, creative love. Divine activity outside the Trinity itself follows the same pattern. First, God creates the universe. That is something like a separation. Creatures, by following the natural law implanted in them by God, reach their perfection, become like him, and go back to him. Intelligent creatures love him in a conscious manner. Through this love, they unite themselves more and more closely with him, and so find their way back to him. The creature most completely filled with this love, filled with God himself, was the Immaculata, who never contracted the slightest stain of sin. Uh, excuse me, the slightest stain of sin, who never departed in the least from God's will, united to the Holy Spirit as his spouse. She is one with God in incomparably more perfect a way than can be said of any other creature. In what does the life of the Spirit in Mary consist? He himself is uncreated love in her, the love of the Father and the Son, the love by which God loves himself, the very love of the Most Holy Trinity. He is a fruitful love, a conception. Among creatures made in God's image, the union brought about by married love Is the most intimate of all. In a much more precise, more interior, more essential manner, the Holy Spirit lives in the soul of the Immaculata in the depths of her very being. He makes her fruitful from the very first instant of her existence all during her life and for all eternity. In the Holy Spirit's union with Mary, we observe more than the love of two beings. In one, there is all the love of the Blessed Trinity in the other, all of creation's love. So it is that in this union, heaven and earth are joined, all of heaven with all the earth, the totality of eternal love with the totality of created love. It is truly the summit of love. Wow. Now this is far too heavy and too deep for me to do justice in summarizing. However, (laughs) however, I am going to try nonetheless. St. Maximilian Kolbe is pointing out that God created everything out of love, and it is in the nature of creation to want to re- reunite itself with God through love. Mankind does this through conscious love of God. The creature Most perfectly able to love God fully was the Blessed Virgin Mary, created without original sin. The Holy Spirit is um, the summit of the uncreated love between the Father and the Son. The Blessed Virgin Mary is the summit, the pinnacle, of the creature's love, mankind's ability to love God. In the Blessed Virgin Mary, because she's the spouse of the Holy Spirit, in the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit is united to the Blessed Virgin Mary. They are, of course, still two persons, but they are two persons in a marital union. Therefore, in this union of the Holy Spirit with the Blessed Virgin Mary, the spousal union between the Holy Spirit and the Blessed Virgin Mary, so it is that in this union, heaven and earth are joined, all of heaven with all of the earth, the totality of eternal love with the totality of created love. It is truly the summit of love. Now, Maximilian Kolbe now concludes this reflection, this meditation, with the mysterious fact that when St. Bernadette asked the Blessed Virgin Mary what her name was, she said, I am the Immaculate Conception. She didn't say, I'm immaculately conceived, or I'm the one who is immaculately conceived. She says, I am the Immaculate Conception. So, going back to the words of St. Maximilian Colby, At Lourdes, the Immaculata did not say of herself that she had been conceived immaculately, but as St. Bernadette repeated it, I am the Immaculate Conception. If among human beings the wife takes the name of her husband because she belongs to him, is one with him, becomes equal to him, and is with him the source of new life, with how much greater reason should the name of the Holy Spirit, who is the divine Immaculate Conception, be used as the name of her in whom he lives as uncreated love, the principle of life in the whole supernatural order. Of grace. Wow. Okay. Well, I hope I, I, hope I haven't um, overly strained um, the audience out there. I know this has been very, very deep and very philosophical and very theological and uh, not easy to follow when you're just listening to disembodied voices on the radio. But um, I hope it has nonetheless uh, been somewhat fruitful And, um, and I hope that you've enjoyed it and I hope that you join us again next week, same time, same place for Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host Roy Shoman. And I promise, I promise to be less philosophical next week. So with that, it's time to say goodbye. We'll go out again with that very beautiful, uh, very beautiful, uh, hymn uh by the way which is sung by a, a lovely small religious community called Harpadei, h-a-r-p-a, dei, H-A-R-P-A word, d-e-i and um they have their have a channel on youtube with many more of their their beautiful uh sacred music so with that let me go to Harpadei singing toda pulcra tu, maria totally beautiful are you maria Toda pulgra es Maria, Toda pulgra es Maria, et macula os.